Hey friends, welcome back to Real Talk with Rachel. I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert, and I am grateful and honored that you've chosen to tune in today. This show is a safe place you can come to hear relevant, engaging, and authentic topics to help you get real, live free, and pursue your God-given dreams. Before I introduce you to today's guest, I have to share this review from a listener that came through that really blessed me. Here's what she said. Not every podcast has an interesting topic and not every show has a good host. Thankfully, this show has both and more. Guests are always of high quality with good, thought-provoking conversations you'll be thinking about for days afterward. Rachel is a fun host who finds the right balance between talking and listening, which is hard to come by in today's world. This is a great show and I highly recommend it to other listeners. Well, Katie F., I hope you're listening today because I just wanted to publicly thank you for that kind review. And hey, if you haven't left a review for this show, please do so as those reviews are what help other listeners find us. Well, speaking of having awesome guests on the show, I'm really excited to introduce you to one of my personal all-time favorite speakers and authors whose name is Andy Andrews. Here's a little about Andy. Andy is hailed by a New York Times reporter as someone who has quietly become one of the most influential people in America. Andy Andrews is a best-selling novelist, speaker, and consultant for some of the world's most successful teams, largest corporations, and fastest-growing organizations. Listeners in more than 100 countries have subscribed to his weekly podcast, The Professional Noticer. Andy's also the creator of WisdomHarbor.com, that's a portal that's become one of the most shared websites of the decade. He has spoken at the request of four United States presidents and works closely with America's Special Ops Command. Zig Ziglar said, Andy Andrews is the best speaker I have ever seen. He really is, guys. If you have not seen him speak in person, he's the most entertaining speaker I've ever watched. Andy is the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Noticer, How Do You Kill 11 Million People, in the modern classic, The Traveler's Gift, which has sold millions of copies worldwide. Andy lives in Orange Beach, Alabama, with his wife, Polly, and their two sons. But today we're talking about Andy's latest book. It's in the Noticer series called Just Jones. But hey, guess what? In true Rachel and Andy style, we also talked about many other things that might make you laugh at times and it'll make you think deeply at other times. So let's go ahead and meet my friend, Andy Andrews. Well, hello, Andy, and welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to have you here today. Thank you, Rachel. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, you are one of my, and this is, please don't take this as me trying to flatter you, but you're seriously one of my favorite communicators as somebody who's in the field of communication (laughs) as a podcaster. And I do some speaking and working on my first book currently. You are somebody who for the last decade or so has very much motivated me. I remember seeing you speak at Gateway, our church, and you are not a speaker that somebody soon forgets because you like to work the stage, <laughs> don't you, in the room? And I do. I do. <laughs> I'll never all forget. All over the place. So thank you, though. Yeah, that was awesome. You'd sit down, you'd jump off the stage. I was like, oh my goodness, this guy's awesome. So um, yeah, so I love, love, love your books. And my husband's a big fan of yours as well. So today, before we jump into the conversation, though, one thing I love to ask my guests is I love to ask them, what is one random fact about you that we did not read or hear in your professional bio? Hmm, that is a very good question. I I think one of the things that you would not read in my professional bio is that 
I have this weird ability to shut my brain off, have something come in my ear and out of my mouth at uh, virtually the same time. Like I, I, and I found out I could do this in junior high school and like, so my friends were just like, they were thrilled with this. And I don't think about it a whole lot now, but I used it to entertain my boys sometimes as they were growing up. But I, I can put like a speaker or a radio or just something kind of up where I listen to it and I just kind of close my eyes and I can say what they're saying like virtually a second after they say it same inflection i can even do it in a different language i don't know what i'm saying but isn't that weird that is weird and i think it's not not a real marketable talent but you asked for something that's not in my bio so yeah i love it that's it's always my listener's favorite question because it makes them feel like relatable like you're human also we all have these weird little quirky things about us but (laughs) i don't know if that makes me human or not but (laughs) i think it is a reflection of you as a gifted communicator because that's seriously like for that just to come so naturally that's that's really cool i love that oh my goodness okay so how many books have you written do you know have you lost count (laughs) i i would not be able to answer that except that uh, i did a print interview recently and they they asked that, and so you know they said you know find out we have time. So uh, this one coming out September eighth will be number twenty six. Wow, that's amazing! What was your first one? The very first one was uh, a book that I self published called Storms of Perfection, but then the very first novel by a traditional publisher was The Traveler's Gift. My husband's read that one. Okay, so Storms of Perfection, is that still in print? No, it's yeah. not. We have some at andyandrews.com, but it's it's one it's a collection of letters that that I spent several years. It was much harder than I thought it was going to be, just like everything in life, I guess, but my idea was to get letters from people that you knew who they were or you knew what they'd done. And I wanted the letters in their own words on their letterhead with their signature at the bottom telling the story of the biggest rejection or worst problem they had before they became successful. And so that book had 52 letters in it, but I literally was rejected. I, I It was like 400 rejections to get the 52. And and I, I was up to like number 60 or 70 before Jack Hanna uh, from the Columbus Zoo actually sent me my first one. I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm writing a book about rejection and I'm getting taught a lesson about it. But that that was that was it. OK, I love that. I, I want that book now. That's awesome. And that's that's not what we're here to talk about, but I just love it. So I'm curious, have you ever written any books that aren't the um, intermixing of the fiction and nonfiction? You know, I have uh, I have a couple of books. One is called The Little Things. One is called The Bottom of the Pool. And then there's The Seven Decisions. And both all three of those are nonfiction. But for the most part, I do like to mix fiction and nonfiction. I, I think both of them are important. And, and you know how, Rachel, you hear some people say, I never read fiction or I only read nonfiction or whatever. And and I thought, you know, there's a reason for both. There's got to be a reason for both. And and I 
I really searched hard for that answer. You know, why would we need them both? And here's why I think we do is I think that nonfiction gives you the facts, but fiction will fire your imagination in a way that the facts never can. And so if you're in a competitive world, which we always are, which we all are, if if you only know the facts, but you don't develop the imagination to use those facts in a different way than other people are using those facts, then you're at a competitive disadvantage. And so I think we need a blend of fiction and nonfiction in our lives. And what I try to do is I do both in one book. There's tons of true, absolutely nonfiction things in the book, but there's also imagination added to it. Yeah. I think that's what makes them so easy to read. I recently reread both of the first two, The Noticer and The Noticer Returns. And I love that you are teaching because I don't, well, I, I can't speak for everybody, but for myself, my husband and I were having this conversation that a strictly nonfiction book, it's almost like you can only handle it in so much chunks. You know, it's like, okay, right. I'll read this and let me try to digest this because it's just a lot. Whereas with your books, I'm not even kidding when I, I say I reread both the first two within a few days because you're just like, oh, what happens next? What You know, I'm learning things, I think, but I, I want to know what happens next. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. That's a good point because I, I'm I'm the same way. With nonfiction books, It if I think about it, I could generally put them down at any point and never go back to them. Mm-hmm. I have to discipline myself to pick it back up again. But when I'm reading, you know, a, a biography or a, a story, you know, if the author is even slightly good, you know, the, the author will get me to pick that book back up. And, mm-hmm. you know, so what's happening? And so I always like to end my chapters that way, where you go, what the heck was that? What You know, where you want to turn the page to find out. And so... You know, maybe maybe you end up staying up all night because you like can't. I mean, that would be the ultimate, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I also love what you said a second ago about um, how nonfiction gives facts, but fiction fires imagination. Because right. uh, you know, I, I mentioned to you before we hit record on this that I'm studying to be a therapist, and a good therapist knows you don't give advice; you help them come to their own conclusions. You know, like right. that's really right, where right. life change happens is when people you can lead them on the path to make those realizations for themselves. But if their brain isn't the one who came up with that solution and, you know, buy into basically what it is and kind of interpret it for where they are, then it's probably not going to really stick. And I, I love that. That's the other element of your books that I personally love because it challenges the individual reading to go, wait, what does this mean for me? Not what did it mean for Andy? What does it mean for me? You know, so. Exactly. And that that imagination component is huge when you're trying to build a bigger business, when you're trying to create a, a, a more functional family, when you're, you're wanting to uh, improve your relationships. That imagination is uh, is huge. And, and imagination allows you a different way of looking at something and uh, it may be a better way for you. Uh, is it, A songwriter friend of mine, told me one time and I thought this was I think about this often he said he said you know when you're communicating he said you got to realize everything has already been said Mm -hmm. it's already been said and he said so we have to figure out a way to say it 
in a way that will capture people's imaginations. And and his example is, he said, I can tell you I loved my dad, and that's one thing. But if I tell you I love the man who taught me how to fish, that brings a whole different thought process and different picture in your mind. Yeah, that's so good. I love that. Okay, so today we're talking about your book that's about to release, Just Jones. I'm curious, in case somebody is listening today and they haven't read the first two, do they need to have read the first two in order to pick up no. this one? But they'll, nope, they're they, going to want to pick really up the, <laughs> the first two. I, I, think if, I think if they read this one, they will want to pick up the other two. Yeah. But e- each of them are written in a way that it explains the backstory and, and moves forward in a way that you don't really have to know. Yeah. You know, all the other things that happen because there's several pages that take care of how we got here, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and so and I think this one, I think I and this maybe it's just me, but I think this is the best thing I've ever written. Oh, so. I can't wait to read it. Yeah. I mean, if you guys are listening and you you're you're gonna want all three, I'm just gonna go ahead and just just order the package deal because they're <laughs> so good. So there is Jones is you want to talk to us a little bit about the title, just Jones, and then let's talk yeah. a little bit about Jones. <laughs> yeah, the the guy, you know, I met him years ago when I, I was my parents had died when I was nineteen. My mom had cancer, my dad in a car accident, and and I made some bad moves and ended up living under a pier on the Gulf coast. And, and, uh, and so I was not in a good place as you can imagine. And, and I met this old guy and this old guy, we had seen him in and out of town, but we never knew where he stayed when he was there. Never knew where he went when he left. We didn't really know how old he was. You know, you look at him, go, is he 80 or 180? We weren't really sure. Had kind of longish white hair, wore uh, jeans and a white t-shirt, always seemed to be clean. Never knew what was in the suitcase he carried around, and but he was the he was the first person to really kind of tell me the truth about myself to get involved in my life at that time, and he called himself a noticer. He said that you know when God was passing out talents, he didn't get the cool ones. He can't run fast, he can't sing great, but he notices little things that make a difference in people's lives, and his name was Jones. And if anybody said, okay, uh, Mr. Jones, or what he would say, no, just Jones. And so the title of this book is Just Jones. And the subtitle is Sometimes a Thing Seems Impossible Until Somebody Actually Does It. Okay. So I got to be honest. I was curious if Jones was really a real person. So he's a real person. Yeah, that, that first chapter in that first book uh, that's exactly like it happened. Okay. You know, it's, it's very, very odd that when, when the noticer series started, it started as one book, right? I didn't know it was going to be a series. I just wanted to write a book about the old man. And, and so I, when I went to the publisher and said, you know, I want to call it, I turned it in. I said, I want to call it the noticer. And they said, well, you can't call it that. And I said, what? Why can't I call it that? That's what he he was. That's what he said he was, you know. And they said, well, you can't call that call it that because that, that's not a word. And I'm like, well, neither was Google a few years ago, you know. You know, neither neither was any of the any of those names in Harry Potter. Those aren't real words, but you know, notice her. You know what it means. And so, so we we got that word and 
and use that word. But what was funny, Rachel, is that as the book began to be translated, it's in about 40 languages around the world, and it never occurred to any of us that you you can't translate something that's not a word. Mm. <laughs> right? So, yeah. you know, so all over the world, the book is named, like in France, I know the book is The Man Who Sees Things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and there's uh, a couple of watchers, uh, but it's all different things. But but the the more curious thing is that as that book has spread across the world, I continue to get letters and emails contact from people who say, I met him, you know, I talked to him, you know, and he, he always had the ability to, to be there, you know, when he was needed most. And, and so, you know, since that time, I I have seen him two more times in, in my life. And so this book details the third time Again, I think this book, Just Jones, I think that maybe this is the best thing I've done. I think I'm most excited about it because the characters in it, I think you're just going to really, really love. There's a 13-year-old kid named Oliver Sutherland, and Oliver is – everybody loves this kid. He's got bright, flaming red hair, and everybody loves this kid, but they all kind of – suspect him you know they they feel like he's getting away with something but they don't really know what that might be because he's never been caught at anything but there are pranks being played you know throughout the book there are pranks that are being played on the town and they're starting to ramp up and so that's a a critical part of the plot with this one wow and there's and there's a 27 year old young lady who Jones actually gets her out of jail because she, I mean, she, everything going great in her life, but she made some monumentally bad choices like boom, 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 right in a row uh, one afternoon. And, and so he uh, manages to deal with the judge to be able to employ her. And, you know, I'm a character in these books too. Mm-hmm. As you know, because yeah. I'm I'm sitting around watching him deal with these people and commenting on it. So these are fun. These are fun stories. Yeah. So is Jones and yourself the only real characters in the books? No, no, no. There's uh, there there are a lot of real characters in this book. Yeah. And in fact, our uh, you know the advanced reader copy the you know the thing that uh, the the publisher sends out to critics and stuff like that it kind of spread out uh, two or three copies spread out around our town here i live in orange beach alabama and that's where this one takes place and and so the uh, the city government is is wanting to do like a kind of a scavenger hunt around the area where people go and we'll put a, you know, put some kind of marker, but we'll also have some kind of like a cue card thing that they can put their phone on and then hear some of the audio recording of the book from that place. And, and so it's very funny, like, you know, C and Suds is a restaurant that's in 
it might be in all three books, but uh, Willie is a guy who works there, and I it is hilarious to me. People come up and say, "Look, I got Willie's autograph," you know. Oh my goodness! And, but there there are a lot of real people in the book. Yeah. So does Jones know you've written books about him? Oh yeah. Has he, he read knows. them? I don't know about that. I can't say that, but but he knows. Yeah. So. And he's still alive. You know, I, I can't, I can't ever know. I mean, honestly, I thought he was old as the hills 40 years ago when I met him. So, yeah. you know, people ask me all the time, they say, who do you think Jones is? What is Jones? Because some of the stories that I hear from around the world, give me pause. I, I, you know, I I don't know. I, and so people ask me that I'll usually say, I don't know. Who do you think he is? And, you know, I've heard a bunch of different answers and I usually say, yeah, that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. Well, from the stories, I honestly, for, um, and kind of, he, he sounds like Jesus. Like I was like. Well, he's, he's not <laughs> Jesus, even though, even though one of the critics uh, you know, I saw a review one time, and I thought this was very funny. Uh, the The critical review said the author obviously intends this man to be Jesus uh, because his name starts with a J, it ends with an S, and has five letters. Mm. and And I thought, I, I never thought of that. That never even occurred to me. And so, you know, I'm not intending him to be Jesus, but but I will tell you this, I. I do. I have. I have long thought that Jones is an example of how the Holy Spirit uses people to touch the lives of others. Yeah. So yeah. Well, yeah. and yeah, that's and you know, to me, it's also a visual illustration of how we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. So you know, when right. I say I see him sure. as Jesus, I don't necessarily say I'm not saying I see Jesus is back in town, but exactly. You know. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I had a, I had a friend that that reminds me. I just I mean this is an aside, but I had a friend that I thought was so funny. He's another songwriter that that writes. In fact, it's a guy named Buddy Green who wrote the music for Mary. Did you know? You know how we talk about hey, the church is not this building. The church is these people, and Buddy wrote a song called "Jesus Has Left the Building," <laughs> which I think is hilarious. Oh my goodness, that's awesome. Yeah, and you know, also, Jones inspires me also in the format of how we live in a culture that is very much a little self-centered, a little self-serving, a little selfie, sure. selfie mode, if you will. And especially my generation more than ever, you know, it is kind of about building a name for yourself and all this. And I was really convicted in reading about him and the things he did because the fact that he would disappear, like he didn't even care about getting the credit for certain right. things. And that's huge in our day and age. And just the reminder too, that what seems to be little on our end, like with myself, for example, people have always told me you're a good listener, which is probably why I'm studying to be a counselor because I really love listening to people. And so I almost can relate to Jones in that, you know, he's the noticer. You could downplay that, but I'm thinking, well, I'm a listener and I used to kind of downplay that. Like, that's kind of lame. I want to be the, you know, that's not very fun to be known as the listener, but maybe it isn't so bad, you know? I I don't (laughs) think that's so bad. I think that's an unbelievable thing because, 
You're right. In a society today where people are yakking, it's a it's apparent that not many of them feel heard. And so to be a listener, I think that would be I think that would be massive. Yeah. To have somebody that that people know they could come to, to be heard. I think that's a, a probably a brilliance of your podcast because I, I would, I would suppose that a lot of your listeners, even though it's you doing the talking, now this is kind of an odd concept, but this is how Jones thinks, even though you're the one doing talking, I would imagine a lot of your listeners hear your podcast and feel heard. Does that make any sense at all? It absolutely does, that, yeah. Yeah, I think they feel a connection with you. And, I mean, I'm just talking with you here. I can see that. I can see how they could feel heard and validated by being part of what you do. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's actually some feedback I get is that oftentimes I'll ask questions that they were thinking and then, you know, yeah. like as they were listening, I'll bring up a question and they're like, oh, my, like I was reading their mail or something. But, you know, right. it is interesting when we lean into our gifts. So, you know, I've started leaning into this gift of listening. When I first started the show, I would try to be all regimented, like questions ahead of time and let's stick to the plan and, you know, all this. And, I, and then whenever I really felt like the Lord told me, Rachel, just listen to what your guest is saying and let the next question come from there. And when I started doing that, I, one, I really started to enjoy the interviews more. <laughs> and two, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the show really started to grow. And I think it was from that organic, that piece there. So. I, I agree. I think that's critical. You know, I, I do, I do a podcast and, you know, I'm not as ambitious, I guess, or as energetic as you are. You, you're doing two a week. I only do one a week. It's like all I can do to do one a week. And, um, but I, I do that. And I also, I believe, I think you articulated that well, that, you know, when you let that flow happen, because don't, don't you enjoy, Rachel, don't you enjoy listening to a, a conversation? I mean, it's like, I don't want to hear somebody get, get interviewed Especially, I mean, your listeners, they have no clue who I am. They have no clue who I am. They like you. They love you. And so, so you know how we say sometimes, hey, any friend of yours is a friend of mine. Okay, well, you know, Rachel chose this person to be a part of this podcast. And so people, I, I think, would get a kick out of listening. We want to listen to a conversation especially if it's our friend and somebody our friend likes or some, but we want to listen to a conversation. I think that's why you're a little young to remember this, but I think that's why Johnny Carson was so such a big deal because he wasn't the funniest comedian. He wasn't the funniest guy, but he had conversations that you, you always kind of felt like, yeah, I'd like to go out for a cup of coffee with him afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't call my show Real Talk with Rachel and then – have a canned conversation, you know, <laughs> I kind of, that's a great point. Kinda that's doesn't a great really point. go together. And to your point about the two episodes a week, only way I'm able to do that. My um, Monday morning episode that releases, it's called talk therapy with Rachel and they are less than 10 minutes. And it's always just 
really me walking people through something to make them use their imagination, like what you were talking about earlier, you know, asking them some kind of question or something like that. So I'm not that awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not not releasing multiple guest interviews a week because those are a lot. So, (laughs) Um, okay, let's get back to Jones because we kind of went off the beaten path. I do want to talk more about him because he is, he has so many, well, he does, but you articulate his life principles so well. One of the what his key points in this, I believe this upcoming book is that you can't believe everything you think. Can you elaborate on what that means? Yeah. I've heard him say that several times and I I hate to tell you that I kind of overlooked it a couple of times when I you know at first, but it has become one of the most important concepts in my life. Uh, One definition for wisdom is a deeper understanding of principle. And and so notice that word deeper. It's not a deep understanding of principle. Wisdom is not a place you arrive at. It is is a, a part of a journey, you know. So if wisdom is a deeper understanding of principle, when you get a deeper understanding of principle, where do you go from there? Well, deeper, I guess. And so Jones' comment to me, hey, remember, you can't believe everything you think, has been so valuable. And he, you know, he unpacks this in in this book, Just Jones, but it has been so valuable because it has kept me on a search for a deeper understanding of principle. And and I guess the easy explanation of Uh, You can't believe everything you think. So many times we get stuck on something that we think or we believe. And so so I would ask, have you ever thought something? Have you ever known something? And you could argue it and you could win the argument every time. And then you found out a month later or a year later, ooh, that was not exactly right, or oh, my information was a little incomplete on that. Have you ever done that? Well, yeah, we've all done that. Okay. Well, if you've ever done that, does the possibility exist that something you know now, your information might be incomplete? And and you would say, well, Andy, of course. Yeah, of course, something I know now, it's possible that my information is incomplete. And I would say, okay. But the key point here is we don't know what subject that is. We don't even know what that is. We don't know how many areas of your life that may cover. And so the point is don't be so stuck on things and that you think to forget to think below them. You know, there are things that can be true and yet not be the truth. You know, the truth connotes a foundation. That's the bottom of the pool. That's as far as you can go. Okay, but but things can be true and, you know, and be way above the foundation. And, and a lot of times we stop at what is true. Why do we do that? Because it's true. It's an answer. It, it produces results. Okay, but it, it's just like there, there was a book years ago called Good to Great. It's a business book. Hugely successful book, but 
I have had a lot of success working with companies just going against the philosophy, just the, the obvious philosophy of the book. Everything in the book is true, okay? But when I say to people, okay, good to great. It sold 8 million copies. Here's what you and I are going to do. We're going to let everybody else go good to great. We're going to go good to best. Hmm. You know, best, you know, great, that could encompass thousands. Best, best is one thing. The best. You know, do you you believe that God wants his best for you? I mean, the best, that's one thing. It could be different categories, but in each category is one thing. Do you believe God wants his best for you? This is what Jones would say. Do you believe God wants his best for you? Yes. Okay. Well, do you believe, do you want the best for you? Well, yeah. Okay. Well, who has a better imagination? You or God? Uh, God. Okay. Then when you think about the best for you and God imagines his best for you, how big is that gap? Hmm. So don't stop at what you know. You can't believe everything you think. Mm Mm-hmm. I love this conversation so much. In the counseling world, we have a saying called "Feel your feelings, challenge your thoughts," and uh, you know, I just love that. There you go. That that thought process, though, that I think sometimes even the things that we do believe, we don't even know why we believe them or where where exactly. that came from. That's exactly right. You know, yeah. So this is such a good conversation. Do you have any examples of a time in your life where you had to challenge what you were thinking and where challenging it was a good thing? <laughs> You know, it's it's one of those kind of things, Rachel. It's a it's literally almost an everyday thing for me, and and so I, I'm always kind of I'm always researching. You know, I'm always you know now this I don't know if this is appropriate or not, but I'll I'll tell you the uh, the prologue of this book, uh, Just Jones. I, I love doing, you know, just as a writer, I love doing a prologue that may happen hundreds of years before and then starts chapter one, starts the body of the book that is in present day. But then in the book somewhere you find out what happened in that hundreds of years ago that matters today, right? And so in this book, the prologue is about uh, when time began, you know, for these, when recorded, when these uh, 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 ancient Native Americans were, you know, kind of becoming aware and they were coming up with, you know, what they believed and all of this. And so I, I had always thought you know, if if uh, I've, I've always thought that don't you have to send a missionary to you know to this these people? I mean, what what if they never hear about Jesus? What if they never hear about God? You know, don't they? Don't we need? Aren't we responsible for that? Well, when I started doing the research on this, uh, I was stunned. Because uh, these ancient Indians uh, 
and Indians, I guess I can use that term now. I, you know, uh, ancient Native Americans, uh, ancient people. I don't know what you say anymore, but they believed that uh, they they were monotheistic. Okay, so they believed one God. Uh, they called him Hesegetamase. They believed that he created the water and the sky and the birds. And and then after he had done all that, he created his children, his people. Okay. And so I'm reading this and going, well, this sounds really familiar, <laughs> you know. And and so I'm doing all this research. And then at some point, Hesegetamase uh, threw out one of his helpers, and the helper was named Svetne. He was a troublemaker, and he threw him out and allowed him to rule under the swamp, and he ruled the underworld under the swamp. And at some point, this this being, Svetne, was, was uh, he kind of got a hold of the children of the people and where they had always been gotten along. Now they were no longer getting along where they had always been very generous. Now they were very jealous and all these things. Well, Hesegetamase sent his son down and uh, the son's name in this ancient language is spelled C E S V S curiously pronounced save us hmm. and um and so this son was down to to you know take all this on him and to uh get things go- I, I i was just kind of shocked to find out you know that these how how could they you know they it, it was it was 500 years before a white person before DeSoto would ever set foot among them, and um, and they knew about the flood. Wow! They didn't call they didn't call the guy Noah, but they knew about the flood. So, I mean, so you know, don't believe everything you think. I mean, I I see this kind of stuff all the time. It's like, oh, what do you think other than the the Holy Spirit? was able to communicate that to them in some way. I don't know how, but there was no missionary. There was no person that went in and told them. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. I love that so, story. That's so it. anyway, that, that story, I used that story for the prologue of this book. And then later on, Jones tells what happens, you know, what happened, you know, because of uh, some of the, some of the stuff that, was created there at the beginning, and it's it's a pretty cool connection. That's awesome. Oh, I love that. Okay, so as we wrap up our time today, I would love for you to think about what Jones would say to us now <laughs> at the the current state in the culture of all the things that are happening, and if what kind of advice would he give to those of us who are walking out these times? Jones would say forgiveness is key, that forgiveness is, you know, when you're talking about one person forgiving another person, there is no book, no expert anywhere 
that will tell you that for one person to forgive another person, that that person has to ask for it, deserve it, or even be aware that it's happening. That the key to a reset button in our lives is forgiveness. Forgiveness is a decision. It's not an emotion. And we can forgive. And there's a difference in forgiveness and trust. Do you forgive somebody who steals from you? Yes. Do you continue to do business with them? Probably not. Do you forgive somebody who lies to you? Yes. Do you continue to believe everything they say? Probably not. Uh, Forgiveness, it turns out, is about us in this context. You know, trust is about them. Forgiveness is about not dragging around our history. And trust is about their future. So Jones would say forgiveness is the key. And he would say because forgiveness is the key, hope is provable in your future. Mm. There is a proof of hope. Even in the worst time of your life, you got to remember you're still breathing. And if you're still breathing, that means you're still here. If you're still here, that means you haven't completed the purpose you're put here to to do if you if you haven't completed your purpose that means you the very the the best part of your life the most important part of your life is still ahead of you which means there is more even in the worst time of your life you can understand and believe the legitimacy that there is more laughter to enjoy there will be more people to influence more children to teach uh, more success to earn more to learn personally there is more I love that you hit on this topic of forgiveness and then hope because uh, the rise of suicide is just skyrocketing, which, you know, to me, that says there's a big spirit of, you know, lack of lack of hope, essentially, you know, to, to right. just want to give up. And do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I dealt with the Air Force a number of years ago. and We were very, very successful. In dealing with this, it's very curious to me that our branches of the military don't work together better than they do because we dealt with this very successfully in the Air Force. I got a call one night, uh, middle of the night, from the four-star guy. The um, He was the uh, – what do they call him? The – he was the commander. He was the commander of Europe, the Balkans, the Middle East, everything except the Pacific Rim. And he told me, he said, "We're they're about to release a a statistic in the paper, and you'll read it about suicide rate." And and he said, "It's bad, and we're in trouble." And and he said, "Man, we don't know what to do." And and he said, "Our experts tell us that these." These people are doing this or making an attempt to do this, not when they're necessarily mad or sad, that they're doing this when they finally tip over into a thought that they don't matter. Mm. He said, so, you know, they're going, it's like, I'm mad, I'm sad, and I don't matter. So I'm leaving. And, and he said, and frankly, we've told them that they matter till we're blue in the face and it's not working. And so I said, well, 
that's because telling somebody, encouraging somebody is different than proving something to somebody. And he could, he said, so what would you prove? And I said, well, you have to prove they matter. And I'm just talking just blah, 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 you know. And and that, it never occurs to me he's fixing to say the next thing. He said, okay, that's what I need you to do. And I mm-hmm. said, what? He said, I need you to prove they matter. I said, "Who prove who matters? He said, we, prove us, prove a life, prove that a life matters. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, well, all right. And... And I, I, you know, I went to work on that with a lot of prayer. Several weeks later, I, I had it. I had that proof of a life, and and so they took me. I, I flew, I flew over to Europe, and then they flew me in an F sixteen into like a combat zone where they brought in every uh, general and wing commander the Air Force had in Europe and the Middle East into one location. And, and I, I spent the day teaching them how to prove this, teaching them this proof. And, and so, and it, 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 it just, it worked. And so that became a book that became the butterfly, the butterfly effect, my book, the butterfly effect, which, you know, you can read the book in 30 minutes and it's a small little book and we, you know, you can, I think you can buy it anywhere. You certainly buy it on andyandrews.com. It's a book people give by the case, and presidents have given it to people, and companies use it. But it's it's just a little bitty book, and it's a proof of hope. Hmm. And it's a proof. It's a proof that you matter. Wow. I'm glad you brought that up because that's such a hot topic right now. So the butterfly effect, I'm definitely going to look for that because that's a big deal. You You – unlocked a key for sure of proving that they matter. Cause like he said, we've all heard the stories and read the messages and you know, all the things. Right. So why is it not yeah. sticking? <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, this has been so good. So where can people connect with you in the online space? Yeah. I'm andyandrews.com on Facebook. I'm Andy Andrews. Find Andy Andrews and I will be your friend. <laughs> and uh, we do, we do a couple of live shows a week on Facebook and and I'm on Instagram and Twitter and YouTube. So we, but, but andyandrews.com is a great place to start. And I would, I would love to have you aboard. I, I really am. I'm a great admirer of you, Rachel, and I appreciate you having me and I'm pretty honored to spend this time with you. Well, thank you. It's an honor to have you here for sure. And I'm excited for people to listen to this. This this next book of yours, Just Jones, releases September 8th. So when this airs, it will be available on Amazon and all the places, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Available everywhere. Awesome. Fine books are sold. And That's what they say. Right? You have a podcast <laughs> also, right? Yeah. It's called The Professional Noticer. Oh. And and so I'm like a second generation noticer now, you know, and, yeah. and so, but we do that, do that once a week. Awesome. Well, I will definitely be checking that out myself. I don't know how I missed it. I'm like a big fan of yours. I'm like, how did I not know you'd have a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we do these two, we do these two things a week from the studio here in Orange Beach. We call it the Blue Plate Special. And, and that's at 1215 Central Time two days a week now we don't ever know which days okay but but it's uh, just like a 30 or 40 minute live show and it 
it broadcasts live at, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at the same time. And so, you know, if you if you go on Facebook and just click the notification button, it'll tell you when we're live and the subscription button on YouTube. And and so, but we do those a couple of times a week. And you know, sometimes we have guests, sometimes we just take questions. But they're always we call it lunchtime learning and laughter. Oh, fun! So. I love that. Awesome. And hey, I have one other question. I've been noticing all the beautiful pictures behind you. Is there any symbolism there? Did you make any of those or? I did. I did all those. Oh wow! I, I okay. took all these, and the the uh, you know we're we're getting ready. It, we're opening up a like a retail store here at the Wharf in Orange Beach, Alabama. That's kind of wrapped around the studio, and we're going to start putting some of these pictures on the uh, AndyAndrews.com as well. And I, I got into doing extreme close up in focus pictures. So I know you're seeing some of these and you're going, what the heck is that? So that you know, that is, uh, let's see, that's a red snapper huh. picture. Uh, very close. That's an alligator gar, mullet, bonita. That's barracuda. That's mahi. Uh, no, that's Spanish mackerel. That's mahi. And, and so that's what, you know, and so they're, they're big canvases. They're blown up very big, and and they're just very cool. And we're able to, you know, sell them inexpensively. And I, you know, I I'm just I just I like I'm an amateur photographer. Yeah. And but I I know how to focus well. Yeah, those are cool. <laughs> My husband and I are big outdoors people, so he would he would love those. But so you have to let us know when they're available for sale. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Hey, thank you so much. Yeah, this thank you. Do you. you see why I love listening to Andy? He's full of wisdom and he tells these stories in ways that just kind of makes you forget your learning. Be sure to head to his website and grab copies of all of his books. I use them to unwind when I want to turn my brain off yet still learn some good lessons. I am actually giving away a few copies of his books to some lucky email subscribers. And hey, if you're already on that list, good news, you're entered to win just by being on the list. But if you're not on the list, you can get on it by just texting the phrase Real Talk Giveaway to the number 44222 right there on your cell phone. Or you can sign up directly on my website at rachelgilbert.com and click the start here button. Okie dokie, friends. That's all that we have for today. I pray this episode brought you one step closer to getting real, living free, and pursuing those God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.